You're listening to the Horizons Church Podcast. Good morning, Ethan Bolton. Good morning, Andrew Josiah Pitts. Yeah. Do right. you know how many people know my first name? Everyone who listens. Everyone who listens to this now. Do what are you doing? No. <laughs> oh. No, I actually find that kind of funny that when people ask what my first name is, I don't know when that comes up, but it does. <laughs> Maybe even, you know, people come up to you say, Jos- "Josiah, <laughs> what is your first, first name? name?" Like I, I assume that they assume it's always been Josiah. Yeah. So I, it's weird okay. That no. They would ask. Yeah, I'll tell you when. When somehow in the conversation it comes up that Josiah is not my first name. Oh, okay. Like somehow that happens. Right. Like, well, what is your first name? It's like, it's Andrew. But I go by Josiah. Yeah. And you know, the funny thing about that is my parents knew all along they were going to call me Josiah. <laughs> and yet they stuck me with Andrew as my first name. Yeah. Could have flipped it. They could have. Would have saved Andrew. me a lot of headaches mm. in high school. I'm thinking about the military grammatical flow. You know, Andrew, Josiah, Josiah, Andrew, Josiah, Andrew. It has, oh, uh oh. There is. It has a little more flow. A little cadence to it, you know? Well, you know what? Be that as it may, you're still Josiah to me. Yes. We have spoken our names to one another. We have called forth our very essence. Wouldn't you? In the speaking of the Mm -hmm. name. Wouldn't you know? That sounds significant. (laughs) That sounds like a blatant (laughs) tease. To the third commandment! Do-do-do-do-do! Wow. I'll never do that again. I'm here for it, though. I'm here for it. I'm here for the I better not promise. I can't. I'm not supposed to be (laughs) taking oaths and vows. True. No, we are on to the third commandment Mm -hmm. this day. The third Mm -hmm. commandment of the ten big ones. How about you just read it to me? I will read it to you. Thank you. I will. This is in Exodus 20, verse 7. Okay. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That second part is actually less familiar to me, but it is more frightening. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. Uh, I probably shouldn't laugh at that, but you know. Well, I mean. Here I am, and here we are. (laughs) The question, I think, here, which is kind of highlighted by the fact you said, you know, a little less familiar with that second half of the statement. I think most people probably are. Mm -hmm. So, what does it mean to take the name of the Lord in vain? And what does it mean that God will not hold guiltless those who do? Well, if you are asking those questions... You have come to the right podcast. That's, I'm, I'm a part of the right podcast. <laughs> it's not the wrong podcast. That's good. That's good. The right podcast. So first of all, what does it mean to take the name of the Lord in vain? If you grew up in a Christian household, grew up in the church, mm-hmm. I'm guessing that you were told that taking the Lord's name in vain meant to literally utter the name of God carelessly and thoughtlessly. Mm, right. So, for example, using the phrase, oh my God, as an expression of surprise or saying the name Jesus Christ as an exclamation of frustration. So, is that what this command is talking about? Well, that's, I mean, that's literally all I could give you on this entire topic. And that's, I'm frustrated by that, if I'm honest, because it feels like I'm just parroting that rationale, but I can't actually speak intelligently about it. And it almost feels a little shallow to leave it right there. Yeah. That almost seems like... Like that's his own commandment? Yeah. That's like it's, it. And it's, that feels like it kind of empties the whole thing of its yeah. significance in a weird way. So yes, it is talking about that, but it's also talking about much more than that. Mm. Because on the one hand, we really ought not use the name of God carelessly. In fact, it was a little weird when I was saying those things. I know I wasn't using them carelessly, but I still felt that like weird twinge of like, yeah. oh yeah, my mom would be like, what is, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, I can hear the voice uh, of Sarah Pitts in my ears right now. But in his name, God has made himself known. And 
It's not that the particular syllables or letters contain his essence. Sure. After all, we aren't actually speaking the original Hebrew in which God's name was made known, for instance. Very you know, true. no one's out here. Fun fact, it's difficult to know how to even really properly pronounce the name that we traditionally pronounce Yahweh yeah. when we say the, it's the like Hebrew. It's vowelless. Yeah, because Hebrew is a vowelless language and things get weird because the scribes later got really kind of paranoid is probably not the right word, but they they were very uh, hesitant about writing oh, wow. that name and saying it out loud because of things like this. So it actually, yeah. you know, maybe not 100% sure how to pronounce it. That's incredible. As it was originally, you know. So all that was to say anyway, that the particular syllables or letters don't contain his essence, but rather that as John Calvin once wrote, whereas God's essence is invisible, his name is set before us as an image. In so far as God manifests himself to us and is distinctly made known to us by his own marks, just as men are each by his own name. So in other words, when I say the name Ethan Bolton, See, that's you right there. Yeah, yeah. But see, you just reacted. I'm not uttering empty sounds into the air because we both know each other by name. When I say your name, I'm calling to mind you as a person with everything that I know about you, um, our histories, experiences, all those sorts of things. Yeah, so so it's not, I mean, it's a collection of sounds, but we give meaning to that. And, and by extension, it calls forth every connotation with that. Right, yes. It, it carries further weight. Yes, there's something of your essence that's attached to your name, which is a little difficult to delineate and discuss. But I think, okay, like, as perhaps thinking about this from a negative example, in cases like the Holocaust, the Jews had their names stripped from them and they were just called by numbers. Mm -hmm. And again, I mean, they're still referencing them by phonetic sounds, right? Like, you know, like one, two, three, four, you know, four, five. Like, those are sounds in the air that you associate with such and such a person, right? But Mm -hmm. there's something dehumanizing about it because you've taken their name from them and there's something of the essence of a person attached to their name. So then when we in English say the name of God, the Lord, when we say the name Jesus Christ, etc., we are speaking of the one true living being who created all things. And when we use his name lightly, we are profaning it, in effect, making sport or derision of God himself, to paraphrase Calvin again. That's that's mm-hmm. what he would have said. So if your mom told you not to use the phrase, oh my God, as just a cute little expression, she was on the right track. I sense but, a little caveat there. Well, yeah, because that's, again, I think like what you were saying earlier, that doesn't get to the entire <laughs> essence of the command, yeah. which again, remember, if I'm remembering correctly, that is the... Hebrew priests only spoke the name, the proper name of God, aloud once a year on the Day of Atonement. Oh, wow. I think I'm remembering that correctly, but there is more to it than just that. The vain use of God's name is also particularly attached to oaths and vows. The the vain use? The vain use, yes. So, when someone swore by the name of God, they're basically saying their word is as true as God himself. Uh, which is a bold claim, uh, to okay. put it lightly. So let me let me let me flex some very vague knowledge here. Yes, is this kind of connected to what we see later in Matthew five and the surrounding verses that people love to forget about when protecting? <laughs> um, that, that ultimately says, uh, "Let your yes be yes and your no be no." Yes, it is connected. Yes. Ah, okay. Yes, very very much so. I would say. So let's let's dig into this a little bit. As an example, you might have someone giving legal testimony and. In the case of an oath or a vow, they might say, I swear that my words are true and God himself kill me or punish me if they aren't. Mm. Now, no one in, I think, in a modern court setting is doing that (laughs) like today, (laughs) but that's the historic sense of giving an oath or a vow, that my words are true and may God strike me dead if what I've said is false. 
But then the thing about that mm. is that many times what happens is people lied. You know, they, they say this, this, this vow, they take this oath, and then they lie. They invoke the name of the truth himself to say they will speak truly. And then they go out and they tell a lie. Now, mm. now they've used God's name in vain. It's kind of like just a little, oh, yeah, let me sprinkle this on there. To They've shown that it means nothing to them. Yes, okay. exactly. I, and that, I mean, that is, it seems strange on many levels. Like that whole situation in regards to this commandment, uh, in regards to the verse in Matthew. Uh, I mean, it even seems strange to invoke like a religious bearing in a court of law. Yeah. Like all of that is very strange to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot going on there. And I mean, on a practical level, real life today, I'm sure there are some people who, you know, maybe hearing this, connecting the dots and thinking, well, Josiah, does this mean that I shouldn't swear by a Bible and say, so help me God in a court of law? <laughs> I mean, I've thought this. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Jesus himself, as you pointed out, said in Matthew 5, don't take oaths by heaven or altar uh, or by the temple. And James said in the fifth chapter of his letter, but above all brothers, above all, that's hmm, pretty strong. Above all, my brothers, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no so that you may not fall under condemnation. So, I mean, what would happen was you'd have, back in Jesus' day, people saying, you know, well, I'll swear by the gold that's on the altar that my word is true, you know, (laughs) which Jesus was getting on to saying like, well, what is it that makes that gold sacred in the first place, you fool? You know, is it the altar or the gold on the altar? Because they were saying, well, if you swear by the altar, it doesn't matter. But if you swear by the gold on the altar, and he's like... (laughs) It's the altar that makes the gold sacred, it's like you how many, fool. how many steps away can you take to give yourself permission? Yes. I mean, that's exactly the problem is all of these are, they're getting at the issue that your word is not true, that yeah. like you are not concerned with the truth and you're just invoking these other empty words to try to say, well, you know, I'm, I can deceive you and to think like, it's just a mess. <laughs> now, there are instances, of course, where Paul would say something in Romans 9 like, I am speaking the truth in Christ, I am not lying. Which... That's interesting. Yeah, sounds an awful lot like an oath of sorts, right? So again, like it's like, well, what do we do? It feels like some sort of invocation. Yeah, it does. So... If you want the personal counsel of Josiah Pitts, if that's what you're asking for, in the situation of, do I swear by a Bible in a court of law and say, so help me God? I must offer a caveat. I've never had to do that. So I, I don't know how these procedures fully work. But if it's possible, I would rather say something like, your honor, out of my reverence and my love for God, I ask that I not have to swear by this book, but rather promise that with the help of Jesus, I will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. That is astoundingly polite. <laughs> it's so so <laughs> diplomatic of you. <laughs> oh, well, yeah, like I said, I've never had to do that, so I'm not 100% certain how it works. But I have a hard time imagining that a justice of the peace would have a problem with that, especially if they're not a Christian to begin with. Oh, or, yeah. you know, I mean, if we're talking, you know, a quote-unquote, like, secular court system that, you know, is full of people who don't see the scriptures as a treasure trove of God's word to begin with. Mm. I just don't necessarily see them having a problem with that, I hope. Actually, I did a little bit of research on this point because I I was very curious. Oh, nice. it's it's not... (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) I did some work. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's not necessarily that they're, like, super understanding of, like, niche religious convictions, Mm -hmm. but you are absolutely on the right track. Probably in part because of church and state or, or simply the fact that people could more easily swear on something they don't believe in and use that as license to lie. (laughs) 
Yeah. But, but ultimately, you don't have to take that qualifier. Yeah. Y- you do have to swear and affirm under penalty of law, which, yeah. frankly, that exists regardless of what you believe in right. or what you swear by. But ironically, that that is the route I would take because of religious conviction. Yeah. So like the, the TLDR of that is you don't, you don't have to argue your case for the freedom. It is readily an option, albeit weirdly uncommon. How about that? But I like that it's there, really, for anyone. Yeah, me too, because I do think that, especially for Christians in a situation like this, if you think through it and you want to say, well, like, I'm not comfortable with that, you don't have to. Exactly. Just got to say, yeah, my word's true, and I'm going to, you know, mm-hmm. It's like, uh, that. I swear by, or you you affirm to tell the truth under penalty of perjury. Yeah. And that's pretty, Which is what you do. That's pretty like, serious. Yeah. So, I, I mean, that, to me, that's way more motivation than I even need. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> it's, it's great. That's, let's do that. <laughs> uh, so, we have that part. But the second half of that commandment, which says the Lord will not hold guiltless mm. those who use his name in vain. That's interesting. That's yeah. an interesting little <laughs> clause, right? Because it, it seems kind of odd that you would think, okay, isn't God not going to hold guiltless anyone mm. who violates? Isn't he just to forgive? These commands, you know? I actually literally heard this taught once as the unforgivable sin. What? Yeah, the guy flat out said, yeah, this this sin, this one here, third command, this is the unpardonable sin. That seems a little tiny bit contradictory. It was, his exegesis was crazy. Everything he was saying was, I mean, it was so convoluted. Oh, man. It was. It was like national treasure levels. I mean, to the, like the 10th power. <laughs> I mean, it was oh, like, wow. Man. I mean, you clearly have thought through this, but I mean, not yeah. in a flattering way. Like, oh, no. <laughs> you are making connections that don't exist. So, oh, boy. Yeah. You know, that's fun, but it's wrong. (laughs) And so just to make sure that's clear, this is not the unpardonable sin, which we could probably do an episode on the unpardonable sin sometime. I'm sure that would be interesting. Frightening. (laughs) That's frightening. Yes, very frightening. It wouldn't be unforgiven. But that's not what God is talking about here. This is not the unforgivable sin. Like I said earlier, here's the thing is he's not going to hold anyone guiltless. Yeah quote unquote, for breaking any of these commands. I mean, that's the nature of sin, yes? Correct. There has to be atonement made for sin no matter what. Mm -hmm. The thing with this commandment is is there is special weight attached to the name of God and the proper use of it and the misuse of it, which may seem easier to get away with in comparison to the other commands. Sure. That's the freight of the whole command, I think, is don't use God's name in an empty way way. He is so glorious and has done so many glorious things for us in his son Christ. So when we speak of him, it should be with corresponding feeling and weight. And if we speak of him in a vain and empty way, we show that we do not see him for all the beauty and majesty and glory he truly has. So to speak of him to whatever measure we are capable of in the moment should be to praise him and to honor him and to make him known for who he is and who he's revealed himself to be in the scriptures. Yeah. So I'd say that's the fright of the command. I like that description. I have, I have, a, I have, a, I have a sidebar. Let's have the sidebar. As I am occasionally do, interested. Do, 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 do. Ethan sidebar have little, segment. <laughs> have a little sting there. <laughs> um, is there like a, a scale of sincerity with this? Because I think like existing in, in a religious sphere most of the time, I think it's actually kind of easy to use the name God in a way that's, it's not insincere. Yeah. It's grammatically and logically meaningful and it's purposeful without, without necessarily being super weighty. Like, mm-hmm. like the way you can throw God willing or God forsaken in a sentence. I mean, does that suggest a gray area or a spectrum? Anything is mm-hmm. that, what is, what do you do with that? I think in it those. It feels weird. Yeah, it does. And I think so specifically, okay, like God willing yeah. as an example. That's of this, the easy I think, one. Yeah. Like. Because that's actually used in scripture. Right. And I think that obviously comes from, that comes from James where he says, don't boast arrogantly about tomorrow saying, well, tomorrow I'm going to go here and sell and make a profit. It's like, 
say if the Lord wills. Yeah, exactly. Which the point of that is you don't control your fate. Mm. Don't boast like you're the master of your own. Is recognizing yes, the, that, the Lord's sovereignty. Yeah, exactly. And that like you may go to that town and sell and make a profit and sure. there's nothing wrong with pulling out your planner and saying, tomorrow I plan to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you said that in stone, say no matter what, and if God throws something kind of like in there. the heart of intention. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So you have that on the one hand. And so when I say, you know, like, yeah, I'll see you tomorrow, God willing. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of that is in the heart of the, yeah. the sayer. Like, you know, if you're like, in a place where you're saying that is, yeah, like, you know, um, I want to acknowledge in this particular scenario that I believe that, sure. you know, I could, <laughs> I, I think about this in a macabre way because I think I could leave <laughs> the studio here and get on the road and a semi truck could just right. smash into me across the interstate and I'm dead before my next appointment, you know? So I'm like, yeah, like, God willing, I'll see you after I'll, this. I'll see you at know? 6 p.m., God willing. <laughs> yeah, that's it. So, in a case of a term like God forsaken, yeah. now I think that gets a little more gray. That's the one I want to know about. Because <laughs> um, you see that sentiment almost off of the lips of Jesus himself when he says, oh. my God, my God, why have you, you forsaken, forsaken me? me? Which is one of the most. And, and it's a weird thing for him to say at that time. Yes. I think that's strange. Yes. Yes, it is. So there is a kind of harrowing heaviness to, I think, that particular phrase, which I used to be much more light in my use of it. And now I'm, uh, I'm, a, I just, I err. These days I err more towards like, ah, you know, like I want to try to be as reverent as possible, knowing that, of course, you know, God forgives. And, you know, it's not like a, um, if you go like, yeah, look at this God forsaken country that's like laid waste by, like, if you looked at No Man's Land in World War One, I'm thinking yeah. we just went and saw 1917 yeah. in recent memory, that looks like God forsaken country. Yeah. And in many ways, I don't think that's an inaccurate or unfaithful way hmm. to look at a scenario like that. If you were to look down from a mountain ridge at the Moss Eisley Cantina, and <laughs> you you're, to call, <laughs> you're to call it so, if, if we rewrote the dialogue for some reason, and we had Obi-Wan saying, oh, that godforsaken spit a lamb. <laughs> um, I'm sensing maybe that's not the most sensitive. Maybe not, but you know. Interesting. Yeah. The other thing to consider on that is when... You're talking about believers. God's promises, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Right. I will not abandon you. And in, in a grand sense, God has not forsaken the world. Yeah. But there are specific instances in scripture even where God says, I'm withdrawing. Hmm. I am my, the temple is my, I think the clearest example. In Ezekiel, this is kind of freaky. I'm excited. Um, but in Ezekiel, he has this vision at the beginning of the temple and he sees the glory of God and it's in the temple and then it departs. Oh, gosh. It leaves. Yeah. Like God, his glory forsook the temple. So in one sense, it was a, the temple was God forsaken. And the glory of God does not return to the temple until Jesus walks in, in the beginning of his ministry. So in one sense, it's like, oh yeah, you can say, I think faithfully and reverently, like Ezekiel, when you're looking at the temple, oh, like the temple is God forsaken. But when you use it, it's just like, like you little, you filthy God forsaken, you know, like that's like, oh, like, okay, maybe. <laughs> maybe not, maybe not. Yeah. So, yeah. Interesting. That's probably still a little little on the gray, slidey area, but, you know. Yeah, that's something to think about. Are these fun times? I'm running through my head every, every, every instance iteration of- that I'm like, I wonder how respectful. <laughs> um, yeah, that'll be a thing. <laughs> we all leave here with panged consciences, <laughs> getting emails. Why? Uh, Why would you do that? Because clearly, I mean, clearly this is important enough to to get one of the 10 slots. Yes. That's um, that's not minor. Yeah. So, no. hmm. Unlike the minor profits. That's a minor profit joke. You got is this the there. appropriate time for that? Probably not, but you know. <laughs>
land in the plane. Not landing it. I'm crash landing it. It's like uh, Captain. It's like Sully in the in the Hudson. Oh, I remember the landing gear didn't come out, but it's on the ground. It is. So anyway, yeah, we're on the ground, and uh, that's the third commandment. So if you uh, have any questions and you want to discuss this further or anything else, you can shoot us an email, podcast at horizonschurch.net. You can interact with us on social media. And if you're helped by our content and you enjoy it and you want to share the love, then, uh, you know, you can go to iTunes and leave us an honest five-star review. Mm -hmm. Or you can share it with a friend. Share it with a friend who says Godforsaken all the time. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe start them out with the intro instead. You could, it's up to you. You know your friend better than I know your friend. I, I promise you. And I trust you. <laughs> uh, uh, yes. Thank you as always for listening, and we'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.